This is Behind the Benchmark, a bonus episode series where we try to answer questions and explore topics inspired by benchmark data. Hey everyone, welcome back to Metrics and Chill. In this episode of Behind the Benchmark, we're going to be talking about growing newsletter subscribers. And this topic comes from, actually, we have a benchmark group for MailChimp for all companies that pulls data from all sides of companies. Usually we filter down to like B2B or you know, by revenue size or something, but this pulls benchmark data from all companies using MailChimp. Uh, if you're interested in the raw data, I'll link it in the show notes. You can check it out. But from January, 2022, total subscribers, the median business has 8,000, about eight and a half thousand subscribers. The top quartile gets 24,000 subscribers and the bottom quartile, the lowest 25% gets about two and a half thousand subscribers. Um, and then the rate at which people add subscribers varies wildly as well. So the median company, uh, you know, the average adds just seven subscribers a month where again, the top quartile is way ahead at 104 subscribers a month. I would imagine there's a lot of companies that, that do even more than this. Um, and then the bottom core, and then for unsubscribers, the top quartile only loses one subscriber a month and the bottom quartile loses 58 subscribers a month. So this is a super interesting topic because obviously a newsletter can be a really powerful tool for B2B companies when social platforms start to restrict your reach. You know, the algorithms aren't giving you as much love for the company page on LinkedIn or paying, you know, forcing you to, to pay to boost it or whatever. It's a, it also is a big step towards building community for a lot of companies. It's the first audience that you kind of own. So this is something that increasingly as we see a rise of popularity for individual marketers, like kind of starting their own communities or newsletters, I think companies are going to follow suit. But like any channel, it takes a lot of time and effort to do it the right way, to do it effectively. And there's a lot of approaches to it. So I wanted to bring on uh, Tara Robertson, head of demand gen at Chili Piper, to learn how they have grown their newsletter to uh, basically performing at what the top quartile is here. So Tara, thank you so much for coming on Metrics and Chill. Of course, thank you so much for having me. I have a soft spot for newsletters, so I'm excited <laughs> to dig into this. And I selfishly, I'm excited to talk with you because I'm trying to grow our newsletter so I can learn from you all and this is gonna be really fun. Um, so yeah, can you give like the 30 second elevator pitch for Chili Piper? I feel like most listeners have probably know or hear about Chili Piper's marketing uh, on LinkedIn, but for people who don't, what what is Chili Piper? Who can use it and what pains do you solve? Cool. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought this up because we hear a lot that people know the brand, but don't necessarily know what we do. So that's what I'm <laughs> trying to solve. Um, so at Chili Piper, we basically help B2B revenue teams double their conversions. So what I mean by that is when you have someone who's qualified on your website, instead of making them jump through hoops, go through a disco call, go through an SDR, we essentially let them book a demo right away with your AE. So if they're qualified, we'll kind of roll up their red carpet, get them on the calendar for the AE. And if they're not qualified, then we can send them somewhere else. But um, essentially we help we, both the marketing side and revenue team. So also on your outbound flows, book those meetings directly in a calendar so that they don't get missed. There's no follow up back and forth to pick a time. It's all just scheduled right off the bat, saving you a ton of steps. And obviously right now with the pressure marketers are under to hit numbers, every lead on your website, if they're qualified, you want to get them in the door and get them on that calendar booked right away. So we help with that. Awesome. One For the record, one of the best pitches, one of the best 30 second pitches of any guest that I've talked to. So well summarized. Um, okay. So today 
we're going to be talking obviously about newsletter growth. Um, I want to start, I guess, at like a foundational place. Why, why the investment in a newsletter? Like in some senses, it's obvious, right? Like I, I feel like it's rare to see a B2B company that doesn't have one, but I guess when I'm thinking about this for you all, like I think for a lot of B2B companies, a newsletter like literally just serves as like a summary of whatever they've happened to put out that week or that month. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of an afterthought. Like they collect email addresses because they think they should. And even the call to action is vague. It's like join the newsletter. And there's no like real promise about what the newsletter is. So for you all, you've been really intentional about this. Where did this idea originate and what was kind of the purpose behind it? Sure. Yeah. So when I joined the team almost two years ago now, we were right at that medians that you mentioned earlier. So we were around, I want to say 8,000-ish subscribers. Um, so it was kind of chugging along. Um, our head of demand gen, Kaylee, at the time was just pulled in a million directions. She was doing everything demand gen. So when I joined, I just kind of raised my hand as I want to take over the newsletter and help it grow. So it was kind of a passion project of mine. Um, but one reason that we're really intentional about the newsletter specifically is we don't do much gated content here at all. So it's one of the only sources for us of, if you want to call them leads or top of funnel. Um, other than that, we really just push people to book a demo, check out the product if they want, but we aren't gating all of our content. So for us, it's one of the only ways that we can see that we're reaching the right people on it with our website and with our content. So it was just natural that we should double down on that. Seems awesome. like when yeah. I joined, we should. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. We, we are similar. Like we don't really, you know, we have a self-serve product like with mm -hmm. a free trial. So people who want to try it are just going to try it. We don't like have, you know, like lead magnets or like, you know, nurture people or whatever. It's just like you're in or you're not. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, the email has become like really the only way that non sign up customers you know, kind of stay in our ecosystem. Um, yep. so, so walk me through, like, before you took over, what was sort of the initial, like, was the strategy set and you kept it going? Did you make strategic tweaks with it? Like when, I guess in its origin, um, it, did you primarily view it as demand creation and brand building and things like that? Or was it like, mm -hmm we're going to try and grow this audience and then kind of point them like a cannon, like toward the product and drive product signups. Or we're going to try and drive maybe like more readers of our recent blog posts. Um, how did you think about like the, the purpose that, that it would serve? Yeah. So historically, so our newsletter is called the sauce. So if I just say the sauce, right? <laughs> that's why. <laughs> um, but historically we had one version of the sauce that went to all of our customers or so end users and then we had a prospect version, which is the one that I'm responsible for owning. And in the past, the prospect one was basically just a tweaked version of the customer newsletter that we were sending out, but just kind of rewritten for prospects. But when I took over the prospect version, what I really wanted to do was make it just more intentional and not just let's take out all the references to customer things and kind of dial down the content. Um, but instead, I was looking to add to the content and make it as strong as I could. So we started doing things like featuring events, even ones that we're not at, but things that our partners are doing that we think would be fun for marketers. Um, it's a little bit biased because I'm a marketer. So I'm kind of writing what I think is interesting, which is fun. Um, yeah. But I added a section where I just call out like the fun things I'm seeing on Twitter, interesting content. Like for example, your post around email stats, I think our audience would be super interested in that. So I'll just kind of bookmark it and put it in when I get to writing the newsletter next month. Um, we did do some testing at the beginning. So when I first took it over, we thought 
people might want to hear from us more frequently. So we dialed it up to twice a month. I ended up scaling back after a few months to just once a month again, because we, we noticed engagement was kind of not the best on that second send a month. And we started noticing our unsubscribe rates kind of ticking up in the wrong direction. Um, so we dialed that back to once a month and that's kind of plateaued with our unsubscribes. Okay. Wow. So yeah. What, what do you think caught? Like, I know all of this is like, we watch the number, like we make a decision, we've checked what the mm -hmm. numbers did, and then we have a hypothesis of why do you think it sounds like, do you feel like maybe people are just kind of inundated? They have a lot in their inbox. And so receiving it once a month is like, we'll stay subscribed to this. It's valuable. It's interesting. But any more than that, you felt like it was maybe just, you know, it would have been one that people chose to like unsubscribe from. That's my hunch. We also, when we were testing to a month, it was kind of event season. It was the fall. And I don't know about you, but after event season, even though I didn't go to any events, my inbox was crazy with follow-up from all these different vendors. So I think maybe the timing wasn't on our side there too. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Um, so how did you, well, actually, and I, I should have said this at the beginning, but for listeners, how many subscribers do you have total? Cause I want people to hear how high you are, like compared to the benchmark data. Sure. Yeah. So I mentioned this earlier, we were around 8,000 when I joined the company and now we're just under 22,000 subscribers. Awesome. Okay. So right near that top quartile, um, what do you feel like drove the bulk of signups? Like, are you making good use of site traffic? And like, is that pretty much it? Are there other ways that you've tried to grow it? Like, how did you go from eight to 22? Yeah, I think it's a honestly a bunch of little things culminating. So we do, if you visit any of our resource pages or blog, we have a podcast site on our website. Um, we do like, that's the heavy CTA there is to subscribe because obviously if it's your first time on the blog, you're probably not ready to book a demo. Um, and I mentioned, we don't really do gated content. So it's pretty much everywhere if you visit our resources. So those trickle in organically throughout the week. And then we've done some fun stuff on social. One thing that I've track just with UTMs is um, literally in my own LinkedIn profile. You can add a link now under your photo. So I have a link to subscribe to the newsletter there. And that's driven not a ton, I think under a hundred, but it adds okay. um, oh, And then cool. we've done a bunch of um, paid experiments. So lead gen forms have been really key for us because it's a newsletter. All we need is your email. So lead gen forms on LinkedIn and Facebook. And the main audience for those was retargeting people that had already been to our website. So those were pretty successful and the cost per lead is low because it's a lead form. But the most okay. successful one we tried was actually advertising in other marketing newsletters. Um, so it's a little bit meta, really? but I just kind of had a hunch that if you're getting other newsletters, you might be the kind of person like me who wants more. Um, so that was our biggest source in the last year was other newsletters. Wow. Okay. And did you do any, like, um, these are things like I, I've been thinking about, like, did, did you do... Was there sort of like a, you had to make sure like there maybe wasn't too much competing content or did on the flip side, did you try and find content that was quite similar and that way maybe they would be more, like more interested in it? Like, how did you, how did you think about or vet or vet those other mm -hmm. like uh, newsletters? Yeah, it's the content itself is similar in some of them. Um, what we stayed away from was placements in like other vendors newsletters, so other software tools, because that just seemed a bit of like, it could be a conflict potentially. Um, yeah. So we went more for like the individuals. There's a ton of like small agencies that run ads. Um, one that is just a newsletter that I really like is called Why We Buy. 
And it's all about the psychology behind marketing. And it's just a one person agency who runs it. Um, but she has a really awesome newsletter. So we tried to find out more of the like influencer creator type people in marketing, not so much the software vendors. Got it. Okay. And that's been, would you say like 50%, 75%, like what percentage roughly do you think has contributed, I guess, between naturally and intentionally promoting it on your resource content, the paid mm -hmm. experiments, and then like, uh, you know, like the small, like LinkedIn ex uh, experiment, what percentage do you think has come from sponsoring other newsletters? Like, like roughly. Ooh, um, roughly probably around 30 to 40%. But wow. it is definitely in peaks and valleys. So we'll see, obviously, when we sponsor one that week, we'll get a few hundred and then it'll just be organic okay. for the rest of the month. Yeah. Now, with the sponsorships, are you saying like, are they just putting your logo and when they like click it or whatever is it or are they doing like a write up about you and people know that what the actual sponsor is, is like the sauce, like is the sauce the sponsor or is Chili Piper <laughs> the sponsor? That's a good question. Yeah. So it, we do say Chili Piper. Um, but to that point, I would say we're really pitching that they should join the sauce. We're not pitching that they should check out Chili Piper because I think that could get confusing and lose people. Sure. Um, so we're really leading with the sauce by Chili Piper, but you should come check out the sauce specifically. Awesome. Okay. Very cool. Um, and then how did you dictate, like, this is something I feel like um, I kind of said this at the beginning, like a lot of people, when I'm on websites, I see a lot of calls to action to join like vaguely, like the newsletter, right? Like they don't name mm -hmm. it. Um, <laughs> yeah. They don't have like a dedicated landing page or whatever. It's just like, you know, you're signing up and the assumption, I guess for users is like, you're going to get blog posts, you know, summarize, like whatever we write this week will be emailed to you mm -hmm. and summarized out. So if someone is listening you know, a B2B company is listening and they want to get started. There's so many angles for content. Like how did you determine what are you going to feature? Is it going to be multiple segments? Is it just going to be one write-up? Like how did you, I feel like the most crucial thing and it's like almost overplayed this point on LinkedIn is like, start with great content. Like all else is a waste if it's not great content. It's like, well, mm -hmm. obviously, but how do you learn what great, <laughs> what your audience, yeah. exactly. How do you define what your audience, how do you find out what your audience mm -hmm. feels is great content to make it something that they don't want to unsubscribe from? Like, how did you think about that? Yeah, I would say it's a mix. So because we only send one a month, we're pretty intentional about it being, obviously we want the content to be great, but it's also our one place to get in your inbox that month. So if we have events that we really want you to attend with us. If we have a webinar coming up, that kind of like, we make sure there's room for that in the newsletter because we don't want to have to send all these one-off emails to people to get them to sign up for that because you only opted into this once a month thing. Um, so it's a mix. What we usually do is highlight one piece of content and we're lucky that we have a really strong organic following on LinkedIn that we've built up. So I'm able to see what's working there that month. And that's typically how I decide what content to feature. So it's not hundred okay. percent, I guess, because I have that insight from what's been working on social organically feedback that we're seeing on LinkedIn. And I use that to inform what content we should feature. Hey, just a quick interruption. In past episodes, you've heard guests give advice like the first step is just like actually measuring and monitoring, right? Which sounds very fundamental, but a lot of companies don't even do that, right? If you ask for like, hey, do you have a monthly kind of report of like, 
what's happening in the funnel. It's like, oh, well, we have this over here and we have this over here and we have the traffic data and GA. So the first thing I think is like build out, you know, a presentation uh, that you're updating every single month. Or it's way easier if you have all this stuff being centralized somewhere and can look at it. And I promise that's completely unprompted. We try to book smart B2B leaders and learn how they're driving more predictable growth, and they end up sharing advice like that. And Databox makes it easy to do all of that and more. You can track your marketing, sales, revenue, and CS performance all in one place. It lets you build custom dashboards and view metrics from over 80 tools side by side. You can schedule PDF reports that automatically update your data in real time and send to your team or your clients. You can even set up custom Slack alerts that alert you when you hit your goals or when numbers spike or dip. If you want to try it totally free, just go to databox.com or click the link in the show notes. Okay, back to the episode. And just to clarify, it's a LinkedIn post that you'll sort of like riff on or do your take on, or will you, will you be like, so you're consuming marketing content for marketers all week? Cause this is your yeah. audience, which is great. <laughs> I love it. Um, and then are you then like writing a corresponding blog post then summarizing that blog post, or are you going direct from like what you're seeing is popular or interesting on social and translating that to the newsletter? Yeah, it could be either way. Um, typically, we try to feature at least one blog post that our team has written, but the way that I decide which one to feature is what's performing well on LinkedIn. Got it. But then okay. sometimes there'll just be a post that someone on our team wrote or that our company page put out that just really blew up that month or that week on LinkedIn. Okay. So we'll feature that. And are you changing, like these, these are so, uh, this is so in the trenches, like tactical <laughs> questions, but these are, cool. hopefully they're yeah. interesting to listeners because I'm, I'm just curious about them. But are you pivoting the content at all? Like, are you, you know, is this like a, because, because the way you approach the blog, are you able to like kind of copy paste the newsletter or are you saying mm -hmm. like, let me take the gist of this article and I'm going to write it more newslettery, maybe shorter, punchier, something like that. Yeah, I definitely do shorten. I also make a point of writing the newsletter from me. So instead of just saying like Chili Piper did blah, 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 blah. I say like, this smart guy on our team who runs growth ran this experiment. I think you'd be interested. And then I go into the weeds on that. So I, awesome. I don't copy and paste necessarily, but I start with a copy and paste and then refine to make it more personal. What do you think? Um, this is like uh, a rabbit trail a little bit, but I think is interesting. It like, this is the approach we're taking and it feels like it feels like every company is eventually going to have to, like, unless the content mm -hmm. is just either super proprietary, like maybe it's some proprietary, like research data. Like I would imagine Refine Labs with the vault could just send an email that's like, here's mm. numbers of like how, you know, performance yeah. is going or like experiments. But unless it's like something super proprietary, it feels like increasingly marketers at B2B companies are going to have to compete against Caitlin, Nick Bennett, uh, mm -hmm. John Bonini's, you know, uh, my boss's newsletter, right? Like these marketers are beginning to like start sub stacks and stuff and write from first person perspective and either do storytelling or narratives really well, or tie some points together. And it feels like if the companies don't kind of empower one internal creator with the ability to write from their perspective and, you know, not hide behind like a brand name, right. But it comes from you. Um, and the company doesn't try and hide that. It feels like they're going to be at a pretty significant disadvantage. I'm curious of your thoughts. Like that's mm -hmm. what I feel like I'm seeing, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I 
think you're definitely right. We've seen some, I would say, unexpected wins from having it come from me. So one example is you, you get a welcome email when you join. Um, and I did the same thing at my previous company, but it wasn't from a person. It was just kind of from the company. And the response is so different <laughs> coming from me um, because I have a line that says, like, I'd love to hear why you subscribed, what you're looking to learn. Please reply and let me know. And I get a handful of replies every month, which is pretty unexpected for an automated email like that. Um, and obviously that's great for your deliverability and good for your metrics overall to get replies like that. So that's definitely unexpected. And I think if it was just from a generic Chili Piper address, I don't think we would get that kind of response. Yeah. Um, I will say there are potential cons of sending it from one person just because, for example, if someone leaves and they've built up that they're the face of the brand, that can be a little bit disjointed. But I think the the pros outweigh that because, again, deliverability is awesome. If you can get replies, that helps a ton. Yeah. And people just start to see your name in their inbox. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, I mean, it's the same risk of like empowering, you know, the people, the leaders at your team to write on LinkedIn. It's exactly. like, yeah. if you put them on blast, like they're going to build their personal profile. And as long as they stay with you, you'll experience benefits and growth from that. And eventually mm -hmm. they're going to leave because everybody does, but then you can hopefully I, the focus should be maybe on like a transition plan and making that seamless for the readers um, versus not doing it at all because of that risk. For sure. Yeah. And we're also in a position that's interesting because we also have our own podcast that I'm the face of. So I'm kind of right now, if you get the newsletter, I'm like sending it to you. And then I'm also sending you a podcast episode. So I think it carries through to it's natural that you would want to hopefully engage with me on LinkedIn because you see my face in your inbox and it's just a natural transition. Um, the the podcast, are you sending that to like to the same list, but a separate time? Or is that to like a separate list entirely? That's a great question. We talked about having a separate list for the podcast. Um, I was pretty against it selfishly just because I didn't want to write another newsletter every month because <laughs> I'm one person. Um, so what we do is we just feature an episode of the podcast every month. We just pick one that yeah. we think was strong right now. We're on a little bit of a hiatus, but we'll be back with the podcast soon. Um, yeah. but we typically just pick one and feature it. Awesome. Okay. So I guess my last question around the content strategy is how do you, um, it sounds like the it sounds like you take a similar approach to us in that like there's one leading piece of content it mm -hmm. may, it maybe is like 85% of the write up and then you're intentional to promote a podcast episode and then any other relevant um i guess i don't have like a good term for this but like little bit more salesy like like company stuff like webinars that are coming up or like events that are coming up mm -hmm. or things like like still still like demand creation or brand building stuff. It's not like it's a hard pitch for Chili Piper, but you're, you're willing to rotate them in. Um, do you mm -hmm. find like if someone were considering doing the same, do you feel like, did you, is that something that you played with or from the get-go? Did you feel like, no, we really want to like, make sure that this is always a place like we don't like I'm, I'm wrestling through this because like, we don't um, currently like pitch any company of like, we don't have any events running right now, but we don't pitch mm -hmm. any other company stuff or if there's a webinar coming up. Cause my logic is if they just read, most of them are coming from like reading the blog, subscribing, then leaving. Like it's like, yeah. they weren't ready to sign up. They're not in market. So, but they're interested in more content like this. So this is our best content, you know, delivered in this way. And so then like, 
it feels like somewhere it's not as hard as like pitching them for data box. It's somewhere in the middle to maybe share a webinar or something upcoming. Mm -hmm. What do you feel like? Have you seen anything of like the reception of that? Do you feel like it's a turnoff or if people don't want it, they'll just ignore it or you put it at the bottom and they can take it or leave it? Like how, how should people think about including company uh, stuff mm -hmm. outside of like just the pure content? Yeah, we actually haven't experimented with taking that section out since we've added it in. So it's a good question. We could experiment with taking it out and see if that has an impact on things like unsubscribes potentially. But to your point, we do put it towards the bottom. So you could always read the featured content, the featured podcast, and then move on. You don't have to read the whole thing. Um, but the reason that I really pushed to include events in it is because we were getting pressure from our events team to start sending one-off emails to invite people to stuff. Um, and I was really against that because people didn't opt in to hear from us on the event side. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So what we started doing instead, which it's a very small but growing list, <laughs> um, is when you do sign up for one of our events, you have the option to sign up for a separate event subscription so that we're slowly building a list for those one-off invites. But I don't want to force everyone who opted into our newsletter to get those also. Smart. Yeah. Um, awesome. So I'll wrap up with a couple like uh, shorter questions. Um, what do you, for someone listening to this, who's like, okay, you know, this is great. I, I want to do something similar. They want to write from first person perspective and and whatever. Um, wh what do you think are some of the harder parts that they maybe are not expecting to encounter? Like I have some, I have some thoughts on this, but I'm curious about yours. Like, oh yeah. Like we should just start a newsletter. Like, it sounds like that easy. It sounds like, <laughs> It's like in order of difficulty, starting YouTube channel, most companies are like, no, that's like videos, a lot of work. Then podcasts, mm -hmm. they're like, that's a lot. But like, I think we should take a stab at newsletters. Like, oh, of course, like we should do it. It can yeah. be a surprising amount of work. So what do you think is some of the things people need to anticipate and be kind of committed to do if they want to go down this road and start this channel? Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing that it might, it wasn't necessarily a surprise, but some people might be surprised by is that a lot of people internally won't really understand what the newsletter is for. So to your point, a lot of people will just want to throw suggestions at you like, oh, hey, we have this press release or we were featured in this article. And it's, that's not most people are signing up to hear from you. I mean, maybe they are, but I'd be surprised. Yeah. Um, so I would just try to keep it if the focus is education and that's what you pitched people to sign up for, then try to keep the content focused around that because you're going to get suggestions internally, especially as you see the list grow, people internally get excited and, oh, I didn't, we have 20,000 people we could email. Cool. Can you throw this right. in there? <laughs> so you do have to be a little bit intentional and push back sometimes on what that looks like. So, and be really clear, it sounds like about defining the promise of like what right. they're getting when they sign up. Like, hey, when you join, this is what we're going to send you, no more, no less. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And things like you're going to get pressure to maybe send more emails more frequently, that kind of thing. But you'll hear really quickly, or you might see really quickly through unsubscribes and other negative signals um, that you you just can't, you have to give people what they signed up for, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, so the other assumption I think, um, and this is something like I'm going back and forth on is frequency. You mentioned this was like really mm -hmm. interesting to me is like monthly. And this isn't the first time I've heard it. Um, we talked with Amanda Natividad from Spark Toro who like, they cool. have a mass, mm -hmm. I think that's like 43 or 50,000 yeah. with like a 40, some 5% open rate. Um, they're just killing email and she does an incredible job and they do monthly. Um, 
Do you think maybe like that's also a misnomer? Like, would you recommend companies uh, if they want? Because I think the thinking is if we like look at the results that are expected to come, right? We're brand, we're, we're creating demand, we're building brand, we're getting shares mm-hmm. of the content, we're getting people reading the blog or listening to the podcast more. Um, and so if we want to double the clicks and the listens and the action people take, let's just double the send volume. Let's go from bi-weekly to weekly. What do you think are some of the things people aren't thinking about there or how you would encourage them to test that out? Yeah, I would. I mean, it does come down to what your goals are. If your goal is we want more people to click through and read this blog post. I mean, that's fine, I guess. I personally would try to focus more on the, again, why did people sign up and what did you (laughs) promise them versus your own internal goals of we want a hundred more people to read this blog post. Um, We often find that people, some of the most engaged people, they'll reply to me and say things like, oh, I loved this article. I love this. But then I look in HubSpot and they didn't even click through. They got enough out of reading the newsletter. And I know Amanda is a huge fan of the like whole no click content thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So often you don't necessarily like those engagement metrics around clicks aren't always the one thing that you should look at, which I know as marketers, we love to (laughs) be like, oh, our click-through rate is 5% and that's great compared to this benchmark. Um, But you have to go with the anecdotal feedback too sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is, this is really helpful. Um, It's, I know it's encouraging to me because I think we, we may test weekly. I think something I would, I would say also in regards to that is like, I was surprised I mean, I think I tend to be like more optimistic about what we can get done (laughs) and then, Mm -hmm. you know, like then the actual like (laughs) workflow of it, but it's like, it's a big lift to do these kinds of newsletters that you're talking about. Like it's a lot of intentionality. It's a lot of planning. The writing effort is, is pretty big. Um, and yeah, it's like the, what, what the analogy I was thinking of was like, you don't want to waste the shots that you have, like you're putting all like a Herculean Mm -hmm. amount of effort to writing a really good newsletter that's coming from Tara every month. And if you take that from monthly to bi-weekly and all of a sudden, like people start ignoring it and whatever, then it's just like, well, you may as well save that for like the next month when everyone, like you're going to get more people paying attention to it. Right. And also just for us internally, just resource wise, I found we weren't putting out enough content that I felt great about to put out more than once a month because I, again, I didn't want to water it down and send a newsletter just because we said we would do one every two weeks. So that kind of helped inform that decision too. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like one of the other takeaways I'm pulling from you is you've had the benefit of, I mean, the the takeaway would be deep familiarity with the audience, with you and like with me as well. Um, we have like a slightly broader audience of like B2B leaders, but for the most part, like I'm getting to see what those people are thinking about week in, week out on LinkedIn. So like you say, like I kind mm-hmm. of like can tell, or like I'll write a LinkedIn post and like, whoa, that one hit, you know, and others didn't. So maybe, we, you know, that's something that we need to write about or whatever. Um, but if someone doesn't, do you have any tips or advice or like from past experience, even if someone's, you know, if someone's a marketer and they're writing to like private school educators or something like what's, mm. what's ways you've seen to tap into quickly, like what kind of content that audience might want to receive if they're not people that you are just naturally a part of? Yeah, that's actually a really good example because my past role, we sold to higher ed. So we sold to professors and admins oh, cool. so in the education okay. space, which I'm not obviously a professor. 
Um, but what I did when I was new to the role was I just subscribed to as many newsletters as I could in the space. So there's a few like inside higher ed is one that I subscribe to, but there's a ton. Um, and I, what we did to find out about what people were reading, what they were listening to, we literally just surveyed people and asked, and we collected feedback from our customers on what do you read every month? What do you subscribe to? And we kind of built our strategy from there. So looking at what we thought we could contribute to the conversation that is again, close to the content that people were already reading, but with our own spin on it because we were a tech vendor. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. My last, I promised my last question. This is another, uh, uh, this is another trenches question for the people that are going to try and do this. What are you doing for list hygiene? Like I've seen mm -hmm. conflicting things on this. Are you <laughs> invited? I think Amanda like quarterly sends an email. that's like, do you not want to be here anymore? Click the unsubscribe button mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, what are you all doing for that? Like, do you just kind of let people unsubscribe? Do you have any rules in place? Like if they haven't opened the past four, it doesn't send to them. Yeah. So we haven't done a real list, like click here to opt out type thing in a while. Um, we use HubSpot, like I mentioned, so they obviously manage the unsubscribes pretty seamlessly for us. We also don't send to people who are unengaged. I can't remember what the rule is in HubSpot. I think it's if they haven't opened or clicked in two or three emails from us. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. we, we just don't bug them <laughs> if they're not interested. Um, one thing I do need to clean up though, is we've gotten a ton of hard bounces lately, just people changing jobs, which shouldn't be too much of a surprise yeah. right now. Um, so I need to do like a real, probably semi-manual of just building a few lists and seeing what the hard bounces look like and deleting them, cleaning that up. Yeah. I've seen the same. And the other like funny mm -hmm. thing that I just had no, uh, I, I had like, just wasn't thinking about was all the like vacation responders that come back. Like when yeah. you do send from Tara at, it's like, <laughs> mm -hmm. oh, these eight people are on vacation this week. That's cool. So, um, yeah, sometimes I get jealous when I, <laughs> I like when people tell you where they're going for vacation. That's fun. That's so cool though, that you get people, um, replying to you. I, it's like, I know the few times that people have reached out and like said something about the podcast, whatever it's like, it can be really difficult, I think, for marketers that are doing content like this, that are really mm -hmm. putting, you know, blood, sweat and tears into it um, to like, it can feel discouraging or like you're shouting into the void if no yes. one responds back. So it's probably super mm -hmm. encouraging to be getting people hitting the reply button and saying, hey, this was a great issue. Yeah, I definitely take screenshots every time in case I'm having a bad day and I need to look through something nice. It's good for that. There you go. So be nice to a marketer and reply to a newsletter today. <laughs> yes. Do at least one this week. <laughs> awesome. Well, Tara, thank you so much for coming on uh, and talking about all this. We will link to the sauce uh, in the show notes. And where do you want people to go follow you? Are you on Twitter? Obviously you're on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm more of a lurker these days. <laughs> so LinkedIn is probably the best place. Okay. Awesome. We'll link to your uh, profile there as well. So thanks so much for coming on and uh, yeah, looking forward to staying connected with you. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com. 